Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today as part of our A's Gone By series, we're talking to Reggie Jackson, the superstar of those 1970s teams. He'll tell us some of his favorite memories from those days, what he's been doing lately in his job with the Yankees, and how he is spending shelter-in-place orders in Monterey. Coming up next on A's Plus. Our guest today on the A's Plus podcast is A's great, a Hall of Famer, Reggie Jackson. Uh, Reggie, first and foremost, um, where are you kind of writing out all this quarantine? Uh, are you down in the Monterey area, which I, where I know you, you, you spend a lot of time? Yeah, I'm uh, home here, and um, I always forget what it's called. I always call it sequestering. It's stay at home or something. I forget there's a word for it, but I always forget it. What, shelter, what shelter in place. Yeah. Shelter in place. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. But I'm here in, in Monterey, and... Um, Doing what I'm told to do, you know, to try to shorten uh, shorten the length of the time that the virus is is among us. What what uh, you're usually a very active person, I know, playing golf. You've you know, we, I think people know you. You're a very serious car collector. You have a lot of interests. You work for the Yankees still. What have you been able to do? Is this for somebody as as active as you? How frustrating a time has this been? Um. I don't know if I call it frustrating, Susan. I'm 73, you know, coming up on 74. So every day is a blessing. Um, you know, you get up and you got new aches and pains, if you will. Um, but I miss working out, really. Uh, miss being able to hang out with different people and see different people. Uh, I certainly miss the restaurants. And then all the things that you, the, the little things that you miss. Um, I think I do my best to keep things in perspective because, you know, I'm a religious guy. And so I think part of this is a bit of a wake-up call. Um, you know, everyone was chasing the stock market and everybody was getting rich and everybody was this and that. And I honestly think we got out of focus there. And I think God shook the trees a little bit. Um, let us wake up and find out what really is important. How many times do you go home and sit at dinner and the whole family's there, yet dad might be out working and staying late and making more money, etc. Um, it, it seems to me that we got a little bit out of focus. Um, and uh, I think the big man upstairs wanted uh, things changed around a little bit. And hopefully this time we do it right when we come out of it if not um, the next time he'll shake the trees a little harder yeah yeah so um, that's you know kind of my view of it i've got plenty to do um i think that you know there's always jobs around the house that you wanted to do there's always too much stuff uh, that we have which gets what creates clouds for clear thinking um we're hoarding stuff we're stacking stuff and we won't throw this away or that away or give it away to someone who needs it. And so I'm trying to do stuff like that, trying to get a little more organized, um, trying to get my life simpler. So that means sell, sell the stuff that I've gathered over the years in trying to build assets or for a rainy day or to pass on the family. So uh, I'm a good kind of busy. Um, I work with good people. Um, 
you know, I have relationships with our general manager and our players and our owner uh, with the Yankees and uh, certainly some of the other companies that I work for, be they Avis or General Motors or the Parts Authority or other things that I'm doing for companies like that. They're all good guys and all good people, so there's always uh, things to do and things to talk about. I miss the gym, yeah. uh, so I wind up walking and uh, lifting the weights you got around the house. But I think what I've learned mostly or tried to pay attention to mostly is being grateful for what God has done for us and what he's done for me, and then trying to make sure that those that have not are the people that we need to be concerned about. The haves are fine, they'll get through it all, but the have-nots are what's really important. Yeah. Um, and and it's, I kind of wonder whatever happened to the slogan of no man left behind. Right. You know, and right now we're leaving, we leave the underserved community out of it. We don't pay attention to those that need. We've got 30 million workers out of place, out of work, and that's but there's probably another 10 million that aren't accounted for. Um, and so those are the focuses, the thoughts that I have and, and things that we all need to be reminded of. Yeah, maybe we all come out of this with a little bit more appreciation and better perspective on things. So if right. you're if you're doing checking in with the Yankees um, about stuff and General Motors and Avis, as you mentioned, you are probably getting familiar with the Zoom conference call like all the rest of us are, too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I've been on several Zoom calls, and uh, I think it's a great item. There's, uh, uh, Cisco also has a web call, uh, webcam, too, that, that we can use. So, um, But you do some downloading, and you get with the program, and uh, you get involved. So there's some good things happening out of it, I think, that we're learning to, that it's important to be at home, important, important to be around people, and important to develop relationships with people that are important to you. Some of the teams and some of the companies not making money now yeah. and continuing to pay employees, and that's impressive. And uh, we all are grateful for that, or we all that we should be grateful for it. Yeah. So with the with the Yankees, how do does Brian Cashman, the Yankees GM, of course, does he check in with you about potential moves? Like during a time like right now, there there can't be you know player transactions really, so it's probably more just checking in in general about the state of the franchise. I'm guessing. I check in with Brian uh, once a week, at least every ten days. Uh, find out what's going on with him. He's always busy, and he usually picks up the phone or he'll call me back within an hour or two because he's got you know, four or 500 people to connect with. Uh, I don't know if it's quite that many, but, um, you know, there's four or 500 people counting all the players and people in the organization. So I'm, I'm not a worry uh, for him or a problem for anybody. I get done what I need to get done. I've got a project that I'm working on um, that has a uh, relationship with players staying on the field, playing more games, not getting injured. And so you you know, including analytical people and then some of the past players that we have with their opinions, et cetera, as to how to prepare yourself to play 150 games. And so their content becomes important and you share it. You try to get them to share what their thoughts are about preparing for a season. And, you know, it's, it's you think, what's a player thinking when he's played 100 games? He's got a seven-game road trip in Kansas City and Texas in August, 
it's going to be 105 every day, seven days a week. You're going to play seven days. You're not going to have a day off, blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, what are you thinking when you hit the nose dog days? How do you prepare yourself mentally? So how do you stay on the field, et cetera? So Boy, that sounds very, uh, you know, it sounds like the really good thing to have somebody who's known as Mr. October take charge of. You, you want to have guys who are still healthy in October or this year, maybe even going into November, for sure. Probably, yeah. I've always played the season, Susan, for September, for August, September, and October. I always played the season for that. I thought my skill set was strength and, 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 um, and endurance. And I felt that I could wear down the opponent because I was a real strong guy. And uh, it did work out that way for me. At least I believed it enough to where it worked, you know. So, so um, and I had enough good fortune and good luck in the end of the season in order for it to work for me. So I've got ideas and thoughts about how to prepare yourself to play 150. Um, I played 21 years. I played 2,800 plus games and almost 100 in postseason. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't remember you missing much time at all. I mean, when you did, I think it was, you know, you, you incur a broken bone trying to steal home in a postseason. I mean, that, it's that, that, that kind of thing where, you know, you can't avoid being injured if you're doing stuff like that. Get the food and germs were scared. <laughs> now, you've obviously been involved with Major League Baseball for more than 50 years. Do you have thoughts on how MLB might be able to come back as they're looking at ways to maybe open things up again and get games started potentially in stadiums without fans and all of that. I'm excited about it. Um, I think uh, uh, at this particular point, I'm like most people, I'm a fan. Um, I do like to watch guys play. I enjoy play, watching some of the players that we have. Uh, play like Judge and, and Blaber Torres and Andujar. I just in, enjoy those guys as people uh, and players. Uh, I can't do what they do. I want to see what they're doing. I'd like to see Trout and Altuve and the great players, Mookie Betts. I want to see them play. And so I enjoy that. And so uh, I think it'll be understandable for me if they don't uh, have fans in the stands. I think you could always uh, have a stadium whether it be in Florida or whether it be in California or Arizona, got 50,000 people. Well, you can certainly see 17,000 people in a ballpark. Yeah, space, sure space them out maybe, yeah. Yes, make sure they're separated. So I think they can get that figured out. I think baseball is probably the easiest sports to get back involved with because there's not a lot of contact. There's not a lot of pressing of, pressing of the flesh, right. if you will, like football and, and, and of course, basketball, hockey. Uh, a little different. I don't see why you stop playing golf. I don't see, I guess maybe because of the crowds, but you're not pressing the flesh. I don't see why you stop NASCAR. You're not, you got no rider in the car with you. So, yeah. but. So uh, it sounds like you miss baseball a lot, as we all do. Are you um, watching any of the games from Korea that have just started, those broadcasts that have just started sort of overnight? No, not really. Um, I mean, I've not been watching much TV except for what's going on with the corona uh, virus. Um, I do watch the market. I do watch the financial channel. And I've kind of gotten away from watching the news. I watch uh, more BBC news, the global news, mm -hmm. um, 
we have one channel that hates Trump and one channel that loves Trump, and I'm not really interested in that anymore. We'll be back in just a moment with more with Reggie Jackson. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As we talk a little bit about the the shutdown and some of the things that you're doing right now, Reggie, um, with your interest in in collecting classic cars, how many do you have right now? Are you still able to take looks at potentially new cars you might want to get or sell some of your older ones? Uh, I, I'm not interested in saying how many cars I have, but I am in the process of selling, Susan. I'd like to get down to maybe 20, oh. something like that. But I'm going to sell off uh, a significant portion of the collection and uh, just move on into a different direction. I want to, uh, I've got a bunch of properties too that I'm going to sell, and I want to see some of my younger family members uh, take some of the assets and see what they're going to do with it, et cetera, while I'm, you know, still alive and well and, and um, uh, let, let them take over and, and kind of watch from afar as to what they do. Ah, so you'll probably just, you'll hang on to some of your favorites then. I'll hang on to some of the favorite cars, but I'm going to pretty much sell most of the collection. Wow, that's great. How how often do you drive them? There Are there a couple that are really close to your heart or that you just really love to drive that you, which ones are, are the ones that are kind of nearest and dearest that you maybe you might even just drive around yourself? Well, there's a couple of cars that I bought when I was a player. In 1970, I bought a, a 1970 Chevelle from a guy in San Francisco, that is a 454 white with red interior, LS6 450 horse car, four speed. And I used to drive that that car back and forth to the ballpark for a few years. And we used to play day games on Wednesday. After the day game, I would drive down to Fremont to the racetrack. There was a there was a drag racing track down in Fremont, and it had an all comers meet. You needed a helmet. Uh, you had to take the hubcaps off the car. And I would go down after the game, and it could race from, you know, like, 5.30, 6 o'clock at night till 10 o'clock at night, and then drive back home. That's the truth. And uh, so I still drive that car once in a while. I've got an old 55 Chevy that I bought in uh, 1971 uh, from uh, Pleasant Hill, from a guy in Pleasant Hill, California. And I've got a Rolls-Royce I bought in 1976 on Van Ness. It was a Rolls-Royce Mercedes dealer over there. It was a beautiful building. I think there's still a Mercedes-Benz store there and Rolls-Royce. But anyway, uh, I still own that car and uh, several others that I like. So I like to putt around in a few, and I'm going to keep a few but sell most. And I still I still enjoy this stuff. That's great. So you're like you said, you're simplifying. Now the um, 
Hall of Fame ceremony. I know you, I know you try to go the years you can when you're not busy with your some of your other baseball duties and, and things you do for the Yankees. But they've said already that they're pushing this year's ceremony, uh, which is obviously a fairly uh, notable one for the Yankees. They're going to push it back to next year and, com- and combine it with next year's induction ceremonies. How do you feel about that? Is that disappointing? Or you, you kind of like the idea of like a double ceremony, like two years ago when you no, had one? No, I, I don't like double ceremonies, but I get it. I understand it. Um you know, there's uh, COVID-19, the, the most densely populated area, the highest percentage of, of, of cases is right in New York City. And you're certainly going to draw a huge crowd from New York City. So it's better to to, to back off it, it this year. I trust the people there. Tim Mead runs it now. Yep. Uh, he and Jane Forbes. And uh, I worked with Tim Mead when he was with the California Angels. He's a great guy. And so uh, I don't second guess or question what they're doing. I trust what they're doing, abide by the rules. And it gives me a break not to have to go all the way back there this year. But I'll look forward to next year and attending uh, to see Derek Jeter go in. Yeah, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Now, obviously, you're uh, connected with the Yankees now, but you still come back for all of the, the A's reunions again when you can make it. Uh, what are your favorite memories from the A's? How, do you still have a pretty soft spot in, in your heart for the A's, despite all the, the kind of ill will that happened at the very end with Charlie Finley and free agency and all of that? I love it. I love the A's. I've never had a bad spot for the A's. Um, all, their, all the people there. I've, I've bumped heads a couple of times with uh, Sandy... Alderson. Sandy Alderson. But, uh, heck, uh, you know, we made our peace after that, and the, the Haas family was just fantastic people. Um, the, the Fisher family now are wonderful people. I don't know what's going to happen with the stadium and all that stuff there. Um, but uh, I hope the A's stay. Break my heart to see him leave. I'm in Oakland A in my heart forever. Um, it's where I started. It's where I have original family. I still own a home there. Uh, uh, Susan, I, I got no bad bad feelings and I'm a, I'm a proud Oakland A with all the championships I mean the team that we had there is one of the great dynasty in the, in the dynasties in the history of baseball yeah and one of the most colorful you guys had you know I think people know that there was sometimes a little bit of fighting behind the scenes and some uh, big personalities that didn't always get along but how, how would you describe kind of those those teams and your teammates and and the mix of personalities Oh, gosh, I think they are what they were. Um, I don't know that there were all that big of a deal. There there were a big deal then. Heck, if they'd have been, if we'd have been now uh, with all the media, then it really would have been something. They'd have, they'd have forgot about the last dance <laughs> um, with all that stuff because we had big stars and we had a big star owner. Um you know, Charlie Finley and guys like George Steinbrenner, they dwarfed Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf. They dwarfed them. Not that they're not important and, right. and all that stuff, but with Steinbrenner and Philly, I mean, and, and Finley, oh my gosh. And Billy Martin, and you can. Yeah. Uh, well, what was it like playing for fin- uh, for Finley? Did he, I mean, when he was kind of just starting with Oakland, he was scouting. Did he wind up scouting you himself? Did he sign you himself? Were you one of those guys? No, 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 no. no. The, the, the stories, stories grow a little bit. Um, I was recognized as the top player in, in 
top amateur player. Oh yeah. Uh, for a couple of years, when I was a uh, just starting as a sophomore and freshman in college, um, and then I was should have been the number one pick that year, but I was dating a Mexican girl, and the New York Mets felt that that was out of sorts. Whoa, that would not work socially. Oh my gosh! And so Bobby Winkles told me that. Uh, that I would not be the number one pick because uh, I was dating out of my race. And my middle name is Martinez, oh, and I was yeah. dating a Mexican girl. That's so, crazy. Uh, right. Well, but those those were the times. Um, it's still a little bit like that, but it has a better disguise on it. It, wears a, where it still wears a mask. Yeah. Um, there's still inequities, social inequities all over the place, and so... That's, you know, part of our issues that we have now as a country. But, um, you know, that's what went on back there. Yeah. That's what went on back then. You you and Finley butted heads a, a few times, but he was a really a huge figure in, in pro sports, not just in Oakland or in baseball, but in pro sports, period. It, well, you know, Susan, at that time, you see, they made a lot out of it. Uh, there wasn't, I mean, we butted heads on contract. Uh, we didn't butt ahead, butt heads on how we played the game, or how I played the game, uh, or me being out at late at night, or anything like that. Uh, the team and and Charlie Finley, you know, our players and our owner had a problem with the way he paid us, um, and so nowadays that's no big deal anywhere. Uh, Look at the Dak Prescott thing and and Jerry and the Jerry and Jones family yeah. and the Cowboys. I mean, that could be as, be as bitter as you ever think, but it seems to be a hell of a lot more accepted now. It makes news because it gives people something to talk about. But you know, really, the the big to do with the Oakland A's and the infighting. We had a couple guys that got into scrapes. <laughs> um, I got into it with Billy North. That's the one yeah, Fossey broke up, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I got into it with, with uh, gosh, Mike Epstein. My goodness. I think Blue Moon Odom got into it with a couple of guys. Campy got into it with somebody. Uh, just, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's, Raleigh. But, um, uh, it was Raleigh. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, all those guys are good guys, good people. And, 26, 27, 28, nine years old, 25. I mean, hell, you know, you're a kid when you were that. I can look back at 27 years old and I won my most valuable player award, but I was thinking about being cool and what I was going to drive and <laughs> getting a new pair of Gucci's. And, you know, I didn't know what was going on in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were a kid. You obviously had so many great accomplishments in your career, and I know you know people immediately think of the three homer game in the World Series, which has been on a lot lately. Um, I, I've seen it a few times; it's always a blast to to see that again. I'm sure people talk to you about it all the time. But what what would you say really sticks out in your head as as maybe your top accomplishments with the A's? Gosh, I think that with the A's, I I, I go to the team and just remember how great a team and how dominant we were. Yeah. Um, how good Catfish was and how good Raleigh was, how good Kenny Holtzman and Vita were. 
um, how good if our fourth starter it may be uh, was probably Johnny Blue Moon Odom, who won 15, 16 games, lost five, six, seven, eight games a year. Um, Lynn Blatt in the middle of the uh, relievers, but you know how great a uh, player that uh, Rudy and Bando were and Campy. Um, you know how good Catfish and Holtzman and Vita were. How great Raleigh was. Um, and those guys really stand out to me as the, the, the best players I've ever played with. You know, it's Thurman Munson and Greg Nettles uh, that I played with in, in New York, and Willie Randolph and Chambliss, and guys that can play, really, really play. Um, so, yeah, those are all, all good memories for me. Yeah, you've got to be right up there when it comes to players, Hall of Fame players that had the most hall of fame players that they played with because you were you know with two great franchises of their time which is is really really tremendous one thing that always kind of jumps out to me about you in your career is you were such a terrific all-around player and people forget that that you were a good defensive player too do you kind of have to remind people every once in a while you know it wasn't i wasn't just the guy hitting home runs i got uh uh banged in New York with my problem with Billy Martin and he branded me as a bad defender and and I've never really recovered from that um, you know as far as my, my, my talent was you know I was a good all around player um, great clutch player um, and, and I use those words kind of you know me, 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 meaning you know i was a really good all-around player but i was a great clutch player and that's because we had great players that i played with that carried themselves bando rudy uh catfish hunter raleigh fingers they, they didn't they didn't show anything where they went about their business and you fought you got in line with them you got in step so it, I, I don't know that I was the leader of the pack there. I got in step with their greatness and got confident and comfortable with their greatness. And it, and it came out of me, you know, so I felt like I was uh, um, lucky to be part of that. That's how I learned uh, a lot of it from, from the environment, you know, that I was in. And then, of course, when I got to New York, I was in full bloom as a player, and uh, played with Thurman Munson, who was a great player, um, and Greg Nettles, who was a great player, Gidry, who was a great, you know, I mean, Sparky Lau, who was great. And um, so, you know, the, all that stuff, those great players being around you, just, Susan, it does help you and gives you confidence, comfort level. Yeah. It, well, you were, you know, I think it was Thurman that said you were the straw that stirs the drink, and um, and you were. As it turned out, or was it? But he said, "Mr. October." Is that is that right. the one he, he said? Called me, he, he called me Mr. October. Mr. October, yeah. And he, I think he meant that not necessarily in the nicest way. And it turned out to be, <laughs> it turned out to be true in the best ways possible, especially for that mm -hmm. team. My goodness. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, Reggie, thank you so much for joining us on A's Plus. We we appreciate your time. Take good care of yourself down there in Monterey, and uh, we'll hope to catch up to you at some time in a later date, hopefully at a ballpark somewhere. Thanks, Susan. I'm awesome. sure I'll see you. Fantastic. Thanks, Reggie. Thanks again to Reggie Jackson for joining us on A's Plus today. Our producers have been G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back later in the week 
with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support A's Plus and all of the Chronicle's journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.